there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. You know that broadcast healing officially kicks into gear when Dr. Bittar wakes up in time for advanced medicine. Hey, Dr. Bittar, how are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you? All right. You know, it's it's happened to uh, me behind the scenes. Like, wait, you mean there's a show to do today? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's do it. We got lots of good stuff, lots of broadcast healing. In fact, last hour, I really picked on the New Yorkers. Do you have anybody, you know anybody who lives in the New York City area? Uh, yeah, quite a few people, actually. Well, the reason was is is that, and, and probably not the people you know, but there was like a, a news report announcing that they were going to begin dumping larvicide in areas around New York City because of the fear of the Zika virus and the mosquitoes that supposedly carry it. Hmm. And they have parents on there going, oh, thank goodness, I'm so glad they're going to take care of this. And it's like, it's the larvicide that are going to spray on you that's actually causing the microcephaly, not the Zika virus. Yeah, this is um, a very common thing. Again, we've talked about with the, the virus hunters or the uh, you know bacterial hunters, and they'll mm-hmm. blame, blame something on a virus or bacteria, which is actually based upon something else that industry or big pharma or agriculture, some some other industry is actually exposing the people to. So, yeah, that's a very common common theme. Yeah, just spray my kids, right? It, 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 this is the way that we, we destroy ourselves. And as I said, those of you who listen to this show every week or six days, however many, you, you probably see through a lot of this. But I get exasperated because, you know, part of me, I'll be honest. I mean, I like to help people, but I recognize, too, at some point that I can't help those people that are not willing to w- open their eyes and ears to see and hear what's going really on. What's really going on, I should say. <laughs> hey, you seem you seem like you're like on, on a methamphetamine or something, Robert. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Is that just me, or does he seem like he's like pressured speech and kind of kind of... I don't know. Something's. I'm just. Know, maybe it's maybe it's the CBD. Maybe I'm ornery tonight. When I opened with that story of people in New York City, that's where I was born. I was like, "You dunderheads! I can't believe it. You're still. I mean, the ignorance, the level of ignorance out there. It's not one of those days where I'm feeling like, yeah, people are getting it. It's like, no, New Yorkers are not getting it. They're going to get it, but not in a good way. Well, you. But you even started the show by saying something about, you know, you know, I wake up and thinking, is this the day to do the show? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Don, do you know what he's talking about? <laughs> it's Monday. It is. It is. Well, we are, we start our broadcast week yesterday, but that's okay. We really warm it up just for your appearance here. Uh, and, of course, oh. what we've got to talk about re- sort of relates to that New York story. Uh, except except that we're talking about farmland and pasture land and the fact that uh, children living in these agricultural areas are developing leukemia, brain tumors, and other childhood cancers at an accelerated rate. What do they have in common with what they're about to do in New York City? Yeah, you know, this is something that I've seen. My observation started with this probably... In 1998, so if you remember the 
Truth About Cancer DVD that you narrated, Robert. Um, yes. The cover of that DVD is a person by the name of Rocky. He was a farmer out of Kentucky. And um, we had four farmers that came out of that same county that I treated with cancer. Three of them were pancreatic cancer. One was uh, small bowel cancer. Um, what was interesting was that they were all farmers. And so I think this ties back into what we're talking about with the children um, the, the story that we're talking about with the children, where the uh, children living in agricultural areas are developing higher incidence of leukemia, brain tumors, etc. And then also one of the other stories, the cancer-stricken farmers to Monsanto Roundup. Now, <clears throat> the correlation here is there's something to do with agriculture, um, something to do with cancer, and is it that agriculture creates cancer? And of course the answer is no, that's not true, but there is something that they do, and most agricultural um, large agricultural operations, at least, um, that are not dedicated to organic, um, clean, mm-hmm. non-GMO type of uh, cultivation of uh, agricultural. And so, you know, when you start looking at this, it, obviously, I'm talking about the insecticides, the pesticides, the uh, fertilizers, all these different components that have a very high persistent component. Some of these things actually persist within the body for two, three generations. Um, there are a number of different substances that were used for either insecticides or as um, as the fertilizers that were part of the dirty dozen, what they listed as the dirty dozen. Um, this is They're basically banned from the, the, the big eight countries. And uh, the sad part is that they were in industrial use and, and or agricultural use for over 50 years before they were designated as the dirty dozen and then banned from most countries. So these particular substances, and I'm talking about things like dioxin, and there's a number of different substances, but when you start looking at these substances and you see them now, they're not even being utilized or haven't been utilized in the last 20 years, and yet they are still found in humans in quite extensive amounts because they've persisted through our food and water uh, cycle and generational through generations where they've created problems with uh, um children that are being born deformed because it was in their, the mothers had it and their mothers, the mothers had it, so it's second, third generational now. And of course, I'm talking some about some extreme components, but it's all over the place. It's kind of like a cockroach. You see one, there's a, there's a thousand behind the wall. Well, that's the same thing. You see one type of instance, one type of chemical that's causing these type of birth defects or whatever we're talking about. There's a thousand and ten thousand different other components that they're also listening to people. And part of that is the higher incidence of cancer, Yes. And, and many other types of problems. So the cancers are not just from this, but then you add the, the indiscriminate use of vaccinations and you putting all these foreign substances into a child's body or into a female's body that's going to get pregnant and then that's affecting the child. And so to have these increased levels of cancers in children, it, it's not surprising at all. In fact, it, it's shocking to me that how the human body is able to continue to withstand all the pressures and all the burdens and still continues to function in most of the cases. Yeah, when we have a detoxification system that's still uh, functional, uh, we have an ability to withstand to some degree this exposure until we don't eventually. And, uh, you know, one of our messages has been for many years is to become your own farmer. And, you know, this is the irony of this story is like the children living up, growing up, being raised on farms are most exposed to toxic chemicals, which you would think would be an inner city issue, right, with exhaust and other things. But the reality is the closer you are to the production and the exposure 
the more devastating it can be, and you're downrange or downwind, and yes, there's an impact in the cities. We wouldn't argue against that, that there isn't, but the reality is it's not as uh, gross an exposure, a macro exposure. It's more like subtle exposures over time through the food, which can devastate over time, and certain children are much more vulnerable. We've talked about that over the years. And yet at the same time, the encouraging thing that I would like to see is that we all become our own farmers. Last Friday, Liam was on the show. He talked about everybody is, people say, I'm a vegetarian or I'm a meat eater. No, you're not. You're a truckitarian. If you're not growing all your own food, you are a truckitarian because you're you're eating food that was grown somewhere else and it was shipped to you by oil-based trucks. (laughs) And it's like, what happens if the trucks stop rolling for a little while? What are you eating then? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting you know, question to post to the public because mm-hmm. I would say the vast majority of the population falls underneath that category of a truckitarian or a mm-hmm. train or a whatever type of you know some somebody who's relying on their food to be transported to them. That's yeah, unless, the vast majority. Is Amazon going to deliver food on drones? Will we be dronitarians for a while? I don't know. Where is it going? But I don't like the thought of that. Even, you know, uh, living in, in, in hurricane-infested regions of the of, of the world for a lot of years, there are times where, you know, power's knocked out, trucks are knocked out, and you realize how people go hungry, the bare cupboards that happen in the uh, grocery stores in 24 hours or less. And you think if the trucks aren't going to replenish that in 24 hours, what happens next? Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, it is a very interesting question to ask whether or not, you know, from in a modern day standpoint, how many people have enough land to grow? Well, now you're starting to talk about the logistics and some of the other components and restrictions that people have. But I've seen people growing um, plants, growing food in the aquaphonics vertical tower yes. type uh, contraptions and, and you know, amazing amount of produce that they can produce in a very limited amount of space. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I've seen even those aquaponic gardens on the top of rooftops in major uh, urban the urban centers. And so, That's right. Yeah, so so it's definitely possible. The, the real answer comes down to, are people willing to put forward the effort and the time that's necessary to do this? And, you know, in our modern world of uh, everything being convenience-oriented, I, I just don't know how practical that is. And, you know, it, it's difficult even, I mean, I'm very much, in, in the same line of thought as you are. I mean, we have our own cows. We milk them. We, you know, we grow some, many of our own vegetables. Not all of them, but we grow some of the, our own stuff. Yes. Um, probably more extreme than most people, but it's not an easy thing. Uh, you know, if I didn't have staff that I could have that, that help with that, um, people on the farm, it, it would be very difficult to do that. Well, it is. It's true. And the thing is, when we are te- typically become a crisis-oriented species because we become very complacent in the age of basically cheap energy to the point of almost being free, that we have our oil slaves. They can grow food elsewhere, ship it in. So why bother, right? And at the very least, you know, I know we don't have to yet. We don't have to grow our own food, right? It's still flowing. It's still coming to our... But I at least want to impart on the kids, right, that there is an ability to grow some of your food, if not all of it, depending. And there are people that are doing it. I never did. I didn't have that upbringing. And I'm embracing it, endorsing it, and and really enjoying it. The more I spend time out there, the more sane I feel. Yeah, this is really an interesting point because... I'm not even sure if I want to talk about this on the air, but I do agree with you that even when I'm looking at a place, you know, if I'm going to be, if I'm looking at a place that, you know, potentially moving somewhere, I am mm-hmm. actually looking for that sustainability factor. You know, right. where exactly is it? How is it, how is the land position? Is it close to water so that you can have access to water independent of the uh, 
the normal water supply, like the city water or the county water, something where it's independent, right. whether it's an aquifer, whether it's in a well, whether it's on a river. That's one big thing, the sustainability aspect. Is there uh, a way to actually harvest food if, God forbid, something were to happen? Like, does it have orchards, you know, are right. you close to the ocean or a lake where you can fish, et cetera, et cetera? Those I, I, I want people thinking about that, Dr. Batar. Listen, you know what is sustainable? Advanced medicine. This is the kind of medicine that keeps on giving and brings you back to the health that you want and or need in order to do the things we're talking about here. Check it out, medicalrewind.com. If you ever miss a show, robertscottbell.com as well. Back after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. If you ever miss a advanced medicine segment or whole show, you can catch them easily at medicalrewind.com. Hundreds of hours of uh, broadcasts over the years together with Dr. Rashi Bittar doing advanced medicine. Also, of course, our archives are up the fastest place to go right here on our syndicator, GCN, in addition to the stations that you're listening to. And then we have Talk Network and iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Epic Times and uh, UK Health Radio and SoundCloud. So you got lots of ways to download into your digits and gadgets and fidgets and fadgets, whatever these things are that people carry around now. Uh, Dr. Batar, my daughter, you know, is almost 11, and she's asking for an iPhone. I'm like, no, honey, uh-uh. I, I, I'm, you're not getting one of those things. And it's like I waited for Elijah to become a full, full-fledged full teenager before we would allow him to have a phone because I'm sensitive to these things. I know we're in the world of technology, but I kind of want to minimize the exposures if I can. Yeah, I mean, cell phones... Ambient cell phone radiation is probably one of the biggest problems with our planet that we don't even recognize. But, you know, the it's more the cell towers more than the phones that are problematic. But are you talking about more from a health uh, energetic disruption standpoint? Are you talking about more because of the social implications of becoming uh, entrenched on your social media? And the yeah, phone you know, I, I, I think any and all. I was like, I was like Ari, you, you need to just play with your friends, keep playing soccer, keep practicing your piano and singing, and do more of that. You don't need to be texting every moment to your friends. That's You're going to be a teenager soon, and I know that's going to be coming, but for now, don't rush. And, and backtracking, because the M fields disruption, it also plays into what we're talking about with the herbicides and the fungicides and the pesticides, like the farmers. In your medical career, how often have you seen a validation of what these articles are saying in terms of these rural folks, these on-the-farm folks, and their exposures and the resulting cancers? Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's, uh, I don't know whether we just said it on the air or whether we said it during a break, but I've treated early on four. This is like in the first probably seven, eight years of my private practice. I had four farmers from the same county in Kentucky, three that had pancreatic cancer, and one that had a small bowel cancer. And it's interesting that, I mean, of course, we've treated many people in the agricultural and or um, I've had actually a couple of NASCAR people that I've treated too, uh, exposure to chronic cadmium, mercury, lead over years and, um, you know, developed, uh, which I, I believe that's one of the, as you know, it's one of the seven toxicities. That's, in fact, first the seven toxicities and then persistent organic pollutants is the second one. But it's chronic toxicity overload, and the most important one out of all of those is actually the emotional psychological aspect. I think if a person doesn't have um, the right mindset, the right life, uh, the, the right way of living their life, then they're more exposed to the rest of the people. And yes, 
this is a tangible type of an issue where cancer starts because of some type of toxicity, but many times, you know, even if you can reverse that or remove that toxicity, if their um, mindset is not right, the emotional psychological aspect, that's a commonality in all cancer patients, how they think, their victim mentality, their, um, you know, their caring baggage, emotional baggage, a lot of emotional trauma, uh, a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, bitterness, you know, all these different types of things. So it's, it's all a combination of different components. But I've found if you can't resolve the emotional, psychological aspect, regardless of whether you can resolve the other things, you're not going to be able to um, resolve the issue unless you can deal with that emotional, psychological aspect. But coming back to your original question, I I tend to, you've never noticed me tend to, like, you know, go off on a tangent, have you? Never. Um, that would not happen. In fact, I would have send Superdon over to clear clear that up right away. Exactly, and I would appreciate that. But um, the point is that, if you look at the from an agricultural standpoint, there are many people that have been exposed to various types of agricultural products, and I believe that has increased the uh, level of incidence of cancer in our younger population. And of course, many of these uh, people, the farmers, they've you know, at, at, the cancer is associated with the with an age issue. So they said when you increase beyond the age of forty the incidence of cancer increases exponentially. Um, but we're seeing many of these childhood cancers that weren't that prevalent now increasing in frequency, and I think it's because of the exposure, uh, and as this article you know, talks about, as this particular study talks about, in the specific type of pediatric population that they're finding the increase in exposure. Um, but then you start looking at not just in, in a patient population with the increased exposure to um, agricultural products, uh, such as the, not, not products, meaning the food products that they're creating, but the things that they're using in the industry, whether it be fertilizers to increase the produce or whether you love talking about the various types of uh, um, insecticides and pesticides, you start looking at There's another correlation, too, and I guess we're getting coming on a break. So I'll Yeah, we got to take a break. We'll, we'll revisit that also, another uh, persistent organic pollutant, and it relates to last week and our humble and lovable producer, Super Don. And we got to follow up comment of the day, maybe questions for him, and Dr. Batar will take care of it after this. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. You know, we don't have the time, honestly, every week when we're together, Dr. Vitar, to go into every detail of everything, you know, about all the correlations, the causations, and everything. So I want to encourage, especially all of our new listeners, if you haven't done so already, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, Dr. Batar's international best-selling book, available all over the world in many languages now. But you can get it through Amazon very easy, or you go to drbatar.com. There are links up. We've got them linked up. And that'll be the way to go to get you where you need to go, beyond what we do together, doing advanced medicine, an hour of our broadcast week. Just a reminder, that's all. Just a reminder. All right. Well, since, thank uh, you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> since we're all so quiet. No, since we're all so quiet, we will go back to our listeners who have questions and comments of the day. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And this question just came in, and it's directed at our humble and lovable producer, Super Don. 
For Mark D. Mark D strikes oh, again, geez. Super D. He says, is Don trying to quit smoking right now? He sounds like he's on edge today. What? Right? What? I'm, uh, I'm the one on edge. Super Don. Edge. Uh, do See, I sound like I'm on edge? I don't know. Last week, he's Dr. Batar. Cool as a cucumber. He is. Totally. It's me. I'm the one on edge because <laughs> we'll find out about what Super Don's do. But last week, mm. Dr. Batar brought that up on the air. And, you know, Super Don was running and hiding for cover, but it didn't work. I was not. Listen, wait a I second, know. Wait a second. Hold on. What? Hold on. I asked for permission first, if I could, and Super Don said it was okay. Yeah, and but I'm you pressured him. It was peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, but I've known that for six years. I mean, Don, how many times have I seen you in person, and I have not given you crap about that? Um. Yeah. It, well, I I can't think of any. So you know. <laughs> he, no, he doesn't give you crap about it. It's true. But, but he cares okay. about you. That's but, okay. But there was a previous one we've been holding up from Mark D earlier in the week, and he says, <coughs> Don. I, he said, I think it was because of last week what Doctor Batard did. I just found out today that you smoke. Do you know that if you take in that you take in a hundred trillion free radicals in every puff? That's, that's Mark D. He says, Do you also know that glutathione is your body's natural antioxidants? Do you also know that your glutathione production goes up by 700% when doing a coffee enema? Dude! That's Mark Robert, D. Robert, whatever yeah. you do, do not yeah. take a coffee enema because you don't need your antioxidants increasing anymore, man. Because you're a man. Mark D says, only because I love you, man, Super Don. So yeah, it's, it's, he, I cares. he cares. I understand. And listen, listen, uh-huh. here's the deal. Okay, when we brought this up last week... Um, you know, I've already been leaning the direction of, you know, just going, hey, you know, I need to quit this. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even enjoy it anymore. It's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's a bad habit. Um, and I was already leaning that direction. And after last week, and you know what, Mark, Mark D, I'll even, I'll even give you some credit here on this. I've decided finally. All right, you know what, everybody's jumping my crap about this situation <laughs> and i'm getting ready to do it anyway i might as well just do it so uh starting tomorrow i'm done we're gonna we're you're done yeah, you know, the, i think mm-hmm. i'm sorry robert i didn't mean to cut you off i think the reason the real motivation is the super don got that statistic which yeah. i was not aware of the glutathione increasing from the coffee enema and i think that was so appealing to don that he decided he was going to cut the <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mean, we, in all honesty, I mean, to be all serious, so coffee enemas are probably one of the most beneficial things that a person can do to clean themselves up. I mean, it's yes. truly it, it's something that we use in our cancer protocols, um, and it really is. I, I did not know that it increased at seven hundred percent. I would actually be interested in that reference. So, if if he has that reference, I would love to get. Yeah, that Mark D. That, I yeah, you, I know he's 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 got game. He brings it every time we mention this. And so, if you've got a reference to the seven hundred percent, because we don't know, it could be six hundred ninety percent. We don't know. We I don't care know. if it's three thousand percent. I'm still not going to do it. Oh man, you are so. That's not what you said when we took a break, Super Don. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd broken him down. No, I'll get I, my you know glutathione. I'll get my glutathione from uh, from the One World Way. I'll okay, just, you'll I'll do some do whey protein and some selenium. There you go. Um, yeah, but you were you had said on the break that anytime a guy mentions a coffee enema and it says. Only because I love you, man. You get a little nervous. Yeah, it, yeah. Those, those really shouldn't go together in the same sentence. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, listen. Um, you know, Doctor Batar, true to true to your mission, you're bringing the healing uh, to uh, Super Don as well. So I'm very pleased about that. So we'll we'll keep up with that, 
and uh, get the updates. And, and, and Mark, by the D, way, I'm going yeah. cold turkey on this thing. So if, if tomorrow I, I am on edge, you'll know why. Right. So eat a cold well, you know, crawfish. That I know that all the people that I know that have actually successfully kicked the habit, they all have done a cold turkey. They set a date in their mind. That, in fact, one of my attending physicians whose claim to fame was that he had broken every bone in his body because he was a Bronco rider and he broke horses, and I think he, I think he had like 600 bones in his body he'd broken at some point. Um, but he told me that what he recommended to patients to stop smoking was to set a date and then start smoking double what you normally smoke up to that point. And he said that most people would just start throwing up and they'd be, they'd be so tired and sick of it. And cold turkey comes and it stop, and then from that point on, there would be the opposite where even somebody smoking, you know, a football field away from them would repulse them and elicit all sorts of, uh, you know, very, very powerful sentiments against the person who's smoking. So have you noticed that how smokers, ex-smokers, can't stand the smoke, stand the smell of smoke anymore? They they just get really repulsed by it. Have you noticed that? That's a super dumb question. There is this funny, weird thing about people who do smoke. Mm-hmm. They, they they may smoke, but if the smoke from their own cigarette happens to go up their own nose, this is true. It's like, oh my god, you know, you're coughing, blah, you know, oh that's gross and stuff like that from your own very own cigarette. You can inhale it and it's normal and it seems fine, but if you smell the smoke from your own cigarette, it's repulsive. Hmm. Explain that one. I don't even know why that happens, but it's true. I don't know, but I mean you know, that, that for, aversion. For, may... for me, for, yeah, for me personally, I mean, I don't care whose cigarette it is; it's repulsive. <laughs> All right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity hater of smoking. Uh, the smell of smoking. I don't care whether it's my cigarette or somebody else's cigarette. Of course, I'm being facetious, but I don't smoke. But it is something that I've heard people have a different uh, response depending on um, when they've stopped smoking. Once they've stopped smoking, right. this is the first time down on hearing that you, you, a person themselves who is smoking still will be repulsed by the smell of cigarette smoke. But Interesting. Now, one of, one of the things in the, in the recovery as you're removing from the physical, I mean, obviously the habit thing, but the physical addiction can be real, and your body starts then strengthening the detox pathways. And oftentimes smokers will end up coughing more when they quit because the body will start rejecting the accumulation that has become adapted to uh, receiving on a chronic basis. So anything we can do, is, since you're not going to do the coffee, to support your liver, we want to do. Just going to yeah, rub actually, some dirt uh, on I, it, you know. Hmm. Just rub some dirt on it, walk it off, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, seriously, listen, this isn't the first time I've done this. I have, you know, I just, I've relapsed. But it usually, it takes about a week to get over the, the, the physical part of it. Okay. And then after that, it's just it's just breaking the old habit, that's it. All right, send good thoughts to Super Don to support him, however you do it. And, uh, Dr. Batar, if you have any other tips to support him, we want to hear them. Well, I, I honestly, uh, some of the things, they're in the nine steps we talk about them, but exercise is a very important thing. Um, I have heard people tell me that the reason they stopped, uh, did not stop smoking was because when they did, they started gaining weight. And so instead of gaining weight, they decided to continue smoking, which is really a pathetic excuse. Um, but just make sure you're exercising, Don. Yep, that's part of the plan as well. Cool, very cool. Now, there's another story here I want to get to. We were reviewing on the break. The headline reads, Use of Complementary Alternative Medicine Affects Initiation of Chemotherapy in Cancer Patients. And as I, we were reading this, I wasn't sure 
where the conclusion, what were they going to draw from this? Was this a good thing or a bad thing or a neutral thing? And you pointed out that this was research led by a naturopathic Ph.D., Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, and their conclusion. Did you catch that conclusion, Dr. Batar? I did. I, I was. Uh, it was almost like an apologetic type of a conclusion that, you know, maybe you should well, go ahead, Robert. You you pull it up because I pulled up another study here while we were talking. So you go ahead and read the conclusion. But I I, I found it to be a little pathetic. Yeah. So this naturopath PhD says uh, we should uh, you know have oncologists really investigate or ascertain the use of complementary alternative medicine among their patients, especially dietary supplement use, because they're concerned that those patients are not initiating clinically indicated chemotherapy as soon as they are instructed to do so by their oncologist. And this is a naturopath saying this. And this doesn't right, surprise so words, me, but it's... But, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the part that, that's really irritating, is that instead of recognizing the benefit or saying that there may be some benefit, they're saying that the use of complementary medicine should be used as a uh, barometer of increased risk of not starting chemo. That's, that's just really... Right. But this, but this this goes in line with Dr. Batar, when I when I spoke at the gastroenterology conference that was hosted by one of the oldest or the oldest naturopathic college in the country in, in Portland, uh, I spoke there as a homeopath, and I was the only practitioner there because it was all naturopaths and then me. I was the only one that didn't mention a drug for recovery of GI issues. Every one of the naturopaths in their protocols included a pharmaceutical FDA approved drug. And I was like, what are, are these naturopaths or medical doctors? What are we dealing with here? And it tells you how much the Flexner Report has engulfed and devoured complementary and alternative medicine, so to speak, by devouring, chewing up, and spitting out the competitive fields of healing like naturopathy. Well, this is the reason that, I, Robert, you know, in private I've said that I'm, there's one group of physicians that hates me more than the conventional guys, and that's the alternative complimentary docs they hate me even more because i call <laughs> them out on their garbage and this is the exact kind of garbage you know what they, they they try to do the same thing as drug medicine but they're using a natural substance and then the, uh, in in conjunction with the with the pharmaceutical and to me that like, what what is what is natural about that and of course you know i call myself out on this i'm doing certain things and it's not natural so i don't like to be called a natural doctor i don't i mean you know it's semantics perhaps somebody would say but I don't prescribe any drugs, but I also, but I use a lot of synthetic and a lot of intravenous, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing natural about that, as we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really bad when you start talking to people and they, doctors, and they're starting to talk about how they believe in the natural holistic approach, and they're using a drug to achieve the natural holistic approach. That's absurd. It is. It really is. Well, that's why the real healers, they don't necessarily have a naturopathic label. They don't necessarily not. I mean, the thing is, you've got to look to the individual. That's why we're not collectivists. But there are naturopaths, and I'll be at the American Naturopathic Medical Association in the desert in Vegas later in the summer, and they're cool. They're really holistic. But when we come back, we'll find out about the glutathione and coffee enemas. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, we've got news on the glutathione front or backside, Super Don. 
Evidently, you did. Did you do the research on the break that you found out that you remember with the seven hundred percent issue from Mark D? Yeah, Mark Mark D shot us a message saying that he got that information from the Gerson Institute. So I looked it up and I found a reference to that from Gerson. Okay, and they were referencing something at the University of Minnesota. And let's get Doctor Batar to comment on this because it, it, it's kind of like it's not exactly glutathione, but it says that. Um, uh, coffee administered rectally also stimulates an enzyme system in the liver called glutathione S transferase by 600 to 700% above normal activity level. So what does that indicate, Dr. Batar? The glutathione S transferase is a major uh, enzyme that is related to the production of, glut- uh, of glutathione, but glutathione S transferase is actually one of the uh, when we're looking at the detoxygenomics, we're looking at one of these uh, genetic pathway anomalies that we've talked about where the polymorphisms uh, exist that allow for the predisposition for the inability to excrete. So you've got the COMT lesion, for example, in autistic kids or Alzheimer's patients, the APOE, um, methyltetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme, uh, the deficiency there will pre- prevent the person from methylation. The glutathione S transferase is one of those type of things that prevents the, uh, it pre- prevents the body from forming enough glutathione. So if you have a, if you have a plus or minus, if you're a heterozygous uh, polymorphism on glutathione S transferase, that means that your body, it's like living in one kidney. You can still function fine, but it's going to have a slight predisposition for the inability to make enough glutathione. If you're a homozygous plus plus, which means you have a polymorphism in both alleles from both parents, <coughs> excuse me, that means that you've got a major issue that you can't produce enough glutathione S transferase, which means you can't produce enough glutathione. So the increase of glutathione S transferase is, is I, I can see the correlation that they made. It's not really mm-hmm. a direct correlation with increasing glutathione, but it is increasing the enzyme that's responsible or that allows the body to make more glutathione. So by increasing it, you know, 700%, that's, that's a pretty significant increase in that enzyme system, which would then allow the body to make more glutathione. So that, that's a reasonable inference to make. It's not accurate, but it's, it's right. understandable where they come with that. So, Super Don, if I send you to the Gerson Clinic, does that mean you're in? <sighs> <laughs> no, nothing oh. is in. Nothing is, go- nothing in, is going in, in. anywhere. No. <laughs> okay. What, I... what if what if Gerson? What if the Gerson Clinic says that mm-hmm. to you with a smile yeah. on the face and saying, "We need to do the out because we love you"? How's that? Would that make? Th- more they've already said that to him. They have. They do love him there. They want him back. And I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> Come on, jeez. Lighten up on Super D. He's quitting smoking. All right, go easy on him. All right, so there there was a, a follow up on on the uh, uh, oncology story, and there was a link to a University of Adelaide study, uh, 2011 in, in Australia. It said more than 50 percent of men diagnosed with cancer in Australia are turning to CAM therapies to find a cure or improve their health. So it, and the Aussies are a little bit more awake too. Yeah, and that was five years ago. That was five years ago. In fact, I spoke at the University of Adelaide in 2012. A year later. Wow, were you were you well received, or did they throw uh, kookaburras at you? No, actually, they had to change the venue three different times, and finally they set it up at the University of Adelaide because there just wasn't enough room. And even then, it was standing room only, and they had people on the aisles. It was actually pretty pretty wild. I wonder if you tried to go back now with that kind of information, like the, our friend uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She was just wanting to go on vacation there. And they basically said, no, you can't come to, to Australia because you might talk about vaccines in a way we don't approve of. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you didn't know about this? I didn't know that. About a year ago. No. She was going to go on their vacation. She was going to do a couple of small lectures. You know, some people there that know of her said, hey, come and talk to this group here and there. And it became an international sensation. 
of how the outraged uh-huh. uh, skept ducks and pro-vaccine uh, cultists tried to get her banned from coming to Australia, and they succeeded. And she was just wanting to go down there on vacation, really. Wow. Well, yeah. I've got I've got a lot of patients from uh, from Australia, and, and a lot of them listen to our show too. Yeah, they haven't banned that, have they? I know they're they're not scrambling our signal that. there. Super Don, find a way around that. the scramble. <laughs> I've probably got close to, I've probably got over three, maybe almost four dozen patients from Australia. Wow, nice. Well, we do love our Aussie listeners. We love our Kiwi listeners down under as well. And uh, one day we'll be we'll be coming to you. Maybe do some live broadcasts from down under. I still would like to do that. I've done one years ago. I did a live broadcast from Thailand, of all places, from the middle of the night to the daytime. Crazy stuff we've done over the years here. We're out of time, folks. Advanced Medicine kicks off the week in style. Super D's kicking something off his plate or out of his mouth. Yeah, that's right. We'll... Keep checking with him every day. Dr. Batar, let them know what they need to know. But the power to heal is absolutely yours. Yes, it is.